Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. All right, well, come with me in your Bibles. I'm going to talk uh, a little bit today about vision builders. Um, so I want to talk today about the heart of a vision builder, the heart of a vision builder the heart of a vision builder. Um, and, and the reason that we're talking about vision builders, because really every single one of us is a vision builder, whether you realize or not, you are a vision builder. God gives vision to men, and then men take on that vision as their, as their assignment in the earth, as their burden that they carry, they, as their Duty is their obligation to God. And so God communicates in visions. He communicates in pictures. He'll, he'll put a picture, he'll put a dream in your heart. He'll put a dream in your heart. I was telling um, JD yesterday something that I, I don't know if I've, I've ever shared, but it was really funny. Um, this is going to sound a little bit silly, Mike, but it's true. So in, in the third grade, my, my teacher, and he was my, my teacher in the third grade as well as in the fifth grade, he was probably my favorite teacher. If I look back over the years, probably my favorite teacher was Mr. Bergen. And it's just, my name's Jurgen, and he was Mr. Bergen. So it's going to sound like he's making this up. I promise you I'm not. He, his name was Colin Bergen. And uh, he was an extraordinary teacher. Back then, music was a big part. Of and he played the piano accordion and we would we would just sing songs and we learned all these songs and he was just a really really great teacher. I remember this this one day in the third grade I was about eight. Um, uh, Mr. Bergen had forgotten his lunch. He had forgotten his lunch, and so he's sitting at his desk and we're all the students sitting behind our little desks and his desk is in the front of the classroom. And then, you know, there's a knock on the door and the door opens and in walks the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And it was his wife, Mrs. Bergen. And she walks over and she puts the lunchbox on his desk and a, a little flask of, and then kisses him on the cheek. And we're all, you know, we're eighth graders. We're like, whoa, lover. You know, it's like, you know, how you carry on. And it was like, whoa. But I remember just being struck at, at how beautiful um, Mrs. Bergen was. And I, it, something formed in my heart like one day, if only one day, that would be the dream. And my, my beautiful Leanne is everything and some of that. So, so God will put pictures in your heart. You, the, the Bible says, the Bible teaches us that, that your, your life will literally follow your heart. Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it spring the issues of life. You are the steward of your heart. You know, I, I like, I, you know, God, God bless a lot of the songs that we sing. Lord, I give you my heart, give you my heart. Lord, take over it. You know, take control. Lord, take control of me. And God's like, I'm not taking control. I've asked you to take control. Lord, I give you my heart. Wonderful. I'm giving it back. Giving it back. <laughs> Because I've actually asked you to, to um, steward it. I've asked you to guard your heart. I've asked you to protect your heart. I've asked you to, 
You know, sometimes we, we sing songs of abdication of Christianity and then we wonder why our, our life is reckless. No, no, you guard your heart with all diligence out of it spring the issues of life. So the enemy, the enemy also sows seeds. He, he, he'll, he will try to put pictures in your heart. One of the reasons we do deliverance in church is because if you go through a crisis you will experience trauma. And the word trauma is connected to the German word for dream, which is the word Traum. Traum is spelled T-R-A-U-M. If you put an A on the end, you get the word trauma or trauma. And what a trauma is, whether you realize it on a conscious or on a subconscious level, a trauma is actually because of something that happened. There was a tragic death, a, a car accident, something that you witnessed that was horrible. It'll put a picture on your heart of usually doubt or uncertainty or fear or calamity. And if you carry that, it will, your, your life will actually go in that direction or your life won't go live up to what God has for you. That's why we need to have deliverance and healing in church so that God can heal the brokenhearted. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. Because there's no point just hearing good news, realizing that no matter how hard I try, I can never attain it because of the brokenness in my heart. So the first thing God says is, I'm going to tell you what's possible, the gospel, good news, and then I'm going to begin to heal your broken heart, recovery of sight of the blind, so you can begin to see with vision what I have for you and see how to, how to get there. So God is, a, God, is a, God is a God of vision. God is a God of vision. When, when we came to San Diego, I think I, I told you, it, it was all about trying to capture the vision that God had for San Diego. There's, there's no point in me conjuring up a vision. If you go to a, a motivational seminar where, where, where they take God principles, but they remove God, they will get you to conjure up your own vision. And that's not, a, that's not an evil thing. You know, it's not an evil thing. The Bible says, uh, you know, where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. So the, that vision may produce, you know, some restraint or some good things or some good pursuits or some good disciplines or a good work ethic. But if you produce your own vision, then you got to produce your own way of getting there. Whereas when you, if you can in this life, and I think the highest, the highest objective in this life is to capture a God vision for your life. If you capture what, what does God want for my life? And a lot of people think that, you know, that God, they, they maybe because you had a, a, a difficult upbringing with your father, think that God is a compartmentalized God, that God will give you a vision for his kingdom and nothing else. Like I don't have time for any of this nonsense in your private personal ordeals. But, but God, God will give you a vision in every area. Well, like he's, he's, a, you know, he's such a good God. He's so beautiful. Have a vision for, for your marriage. Have a vision for your children. Have a vision for your family. Have a vision for your life, have a vision for your vacation, have a vision for your friendships, have a vision for, for your prosperity, have a every area that you come to God, he will give you a picture. It's very, very important that you have that, that picture. All right, uh, so let's have a look in um, the book of Exodus. I mean, it's all good. It's all good, really. Well, gosh, where do you go? Let's, start, let's go to Exodus chapter 25. 
Exodus 25, verse 40. It says this, uh, and it says, And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So the first, the first vision builder that I want to talk about today in the Bible is, is Moses. So Moses, this scripture is Moses has gone up onto the mountain. And uh, I'm not sure if he had a journal or whether he was just recording with his iPhone. I don't know. I mean, look, I wasn't there. How would I? It might have been, could have been both. Who knows? I mean, but anyway, so he's up there with God and God is downloading him instructions. He's in, in, downloading the instructions on what the Levites are to do. They're separated from, you know, from all the other tribes. And they're the ones who God has ordained because they come from Aaron and from his tribe. That The Levites, they're going to be the priests. And because they're the priests, they're the ones who are going to offer the sacrifices to make atonement for the children of Israel. And then God says, listen, I, want to, I actually want to walk with you through the wilderness. I'm going to walk with you through the wilderness because the wilderness is harsh. And, and I'm doing that because you've been slaves for 400 years and I'm going to deprogram you from a slave mentality, from looking to the hand of man. Because for 400 years, all, all you got was what the hand of man either benevolently gave or harshly took from you. So you now have been programmed that the hand of man determines your destiny. But I hope that you see that I used my power because it was the arm of the Lord that has delivered you from that. But even though I've delivered you from that physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, you still have, you still have the, the, the memory foam of that kind of conditioning. So I'm going, to, I'm going to get you to build me a tabernacle. And the tabernacle, I'm going to dwell in the tabernacle and my presence will go with you so that when you need water, I'll bring water. When you need manna, I'll bring manna. Whatever you need, I'll be there. I'm just going to teach you that you don't need to look to man, you need to look to God. But if you read the story of Exodus, you'll find that for you know, 40 years, they whined and complained, there's no food out here, there's no water out here. And you know, they'll always complain, have you brought us out here to die? Because there was no graves back in Egypt. And so they're constantly whining and complaining because they were looking to the hand of man. They were looking to their circumstances rather than looking to God, thinking that God was. And so, so God says to Moses, uh, this, is, this is what I want you to build, but I want you to build it exactly to the dimensions, exactly according to the pattern of which I have shown you on the mountaintop. One of the reasons we do marriage retreat, emerge, cherish, awaken conference, pathfinders conference is, is an even church on a Sunday on, and on a Wednesday is the objective is to give you a, a mountaintop moment is to give you a mountaintop experience is to give you a mountaintop experience. Jesus says, in this world, you'll have much tribulation. In this world, you'll have much trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The, the Bible teaches that this world is jacked up. This world is jacked up. So, so that tells me that Moses had a moment on a mountain. And the moment on the mountain gave him a pattern, gave him a picture, gave him a vision that for the rest of his life, when he comes back down from the mountain, he's meant to execute, he's meant to, he's meant to build that vision, he's meant to, to apply to his life. That, that, means, that means that the picture that I see up there, I, I have a responsibility to steward and protect that, 
to elevate that above the daily noise, above the daily negativity, above the daily skirmishes, the criticism, the nasty words, the, 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 the warfare, the attacks of the enemy, the disappointments that come, the nasty things that people say. One of the greatest battles of a vision builder is to carry the vision that you saw on the mountain when you're in the valleys. Your, 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 your assignment in this life is to let the Holy Ghost give you a picture. Then you rise in courage to believe that picture. There, there are two options. There are two options. And, and, and this is option B is the kind of Christian we are not producing. So let me give you option B first. Option B is the kind of Christian that says, that becomes cynical. They become snarky about, yeah, really, you know, God is a God of healing. God is a God of prosperity. God is a God of mean, well, we'll look at the economy and look at theirs. And then you don't understand, you know, we, we, we had our home foreclosed on and then this happened and this happened. And what they do is they, 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 they abort the, the vision. They abort the picture and they just settle for for. Rea the world's reality. You are not here to live in reality. You are here to be option A where you create a brand new reality. So the great battle of every soldier in Christ, of every Christian, is to get a vision from heaven that came from heaven that looks nothing like what you see when you look around you here, but you don't let it go. You, you, you give your energy, you give your resources, your time, your focus, your attention, you give prayer, you give intercession, you give everything you have in order to live up to that vision, not reduce that vision down to when the disciples said to Jesus, send the crowd away for, for they've been with you for three days and we don't have enough to feed them. They were saying to Jesus, reduce the vision down to the circumstances. We've got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, that's not how this life works, baby. He says, sit them down in groups of 50 because when we get God engaged, looking up to heaven, he blessed, he broke, he distributed and he gave. And the vision in front of him was was resourced and flourished because provision always follows vision. A lot of people, when they reduce vision, they say, well, I'll reduce the vision until the provision comes. Provision ain't coming, baby. Provision is pro the vision. If you reduce the vision, the provision will never come. You've got to keep the vision high. So the great battle in this life, am I making sense? Is it the great battle in this life is to capture, capture a moment with God, to capture a picture from God, but understand it will be difficult. Understand there's going to be warfare. Understand there's going to be discouragement. The reason you need friends is because you're going to get discouraged. The reason we need friends, I don't understand, like at Awakened Church, they don't take God seriously. Some of the pastors have even got memberships out at Temecula Vineyards. And where else do we have a membership, babe? Where else do we have memberships? Like Napa. Anyway, we have a few. And uh, yeah, because... Because the greatest way to build friendships, to build friendships, you can't build friendships in a classroom. You can't, you can't even build friendships. Friendships has got to be built around a table. Good food, good fellowship, and good wine always helps. It always helps. That way, if you're like, ah, I'm not sure if this is the, the wine will help. But you need good friends. 
People don't preach on, on friendships, but you need good friends. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, first thing God said is not good is that man should be alone. God said it's not good that man should be alone. Why, why would God say that? What, you know what God was saying? He's saying it's not good that man should be alone because you can't fix you. What God meant was it's not good that man should be alone. He's like, wow, he can't fix himself. He needs a helper. He needs human interaction, human contact. He needs human encouragement. He needs human interaction and activity. You need friends. Who is the richest man on the planet? It's not Elon Musk or any of those guys. The richest man on the planet is the person who has the greatest friends. The level of friendships is the level of wealth in, in your life. And I need friends in my life. I need voices in my life so that when I get discouraged, when, when life comes with its nasty and devil comes in with attack or just circumstances, the, the ebb and flow of the world in which we live in can sometimes make that, that vision that God gave you on the mountain, that picture of what God gave you on the mountain can make it look like, oh my gosh, it just seems like light years away. That just seems like such an impossibility. You need people in your world encouraging you. Come on, keep, keep going. Keep. When Moses was on the mountain and his arms got weary and he lowered his arms, there was, there was loss in the valley. But thank God for Aaron and thank God for her. They sat him on the rock and they held, they, hey Moses, we, we can't hold the rod, but we can hold up your arms. We, we can't do the God vision for you. You got to do the God vision stuff, but we can certainly hold your arms and we can certainly support you and we can certainly encourage you. You need friends in your life. Somebody say amen. amen. John the Baptist, John the Baptist, watch this. Remember John the Baptist, he's, he's moments away from being executed. And so he sends two of his disciples to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, they come with a question and they say, are, are, you, the, are you the coming one or do we look for another? John, John wants to know, like, are you, he's in a prison. What had happened was John was the one who pointed him out on the, on the banks of the Jordan River. Behold the Lamb of God. He says, I, and I wouldn't have known him except God told me. The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain upon him. That's the one. And I saw the Spirit descend upon him like a dove. That's him, the, the Lamb of God. But now he's sitting in a prison cell. He's sitting in a dungeon. He has a, he has a sense that he's moments away from departing from this life into eternity and he's forgotten in the dark what he heard in the light. He's forgotten in the dark of the dungeon, of the prison, of what he heard in the light. The great battle is for you to, to do the Habakkuk 2 2, write the vision. Why does it say write the vision? Because it's so easy for you and I to forget in the dark what we heard in the light. Get a journal, write it down, make a board, you know, print it, do, do whatever you got to do. But whatever God has told you, this is what my life is going to look like. This is what my future is going to look like. This is what my friendship is going to look like. This is what my family is going to look like. Stick it to the devil. Don't let the devil steal. In the dark, what God showed you in the light, write it down. Write the vision that he who reads it may run with it. Because I'm telling you, the, the moments with God, their encounters, they're, 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 it's the light piercing the darkness. But they're, they're momentary. 
they're punctuation points in, in this life, but they're the most precious things. Moses climbed up to, to the mountain to have an encounter with God, but for 40 years, he's trying to work it out with the people. You've got to write down the vision. Joseph was the same. Joseph, I mean, despite the betrayal, despite the abuse, despite slavery, despite seeing a transaction where 30 pieces of silver is given and, and a title deed is given to, to this slave, despite then being falsely accused and then sentenced and then imprisoned and him carried off into the prison and then here's your cell and this is where you, where you sleep and these are the rules of the prison. Despite all of the darkness, despite all of the negativity, what got Joseph through was he refused to lose in the dark what God had revealed to him in the light. He lived with a vision. He was a vision builder. He didn't allow his circumstances. What I'm trying to say to you is that vision builders is not just about raising money. If you think it's about raising, my oh, dear God, you've, you've, you've missed the whole point. The reason we do vision builders is because we're trying to tell you God has a vision for your life that is greater than your life, that he wants to put into your heart, that you don't reduce the vision down to life and down to circumstances. You change circumstances to live up to the vision that God has put in your world. All the resources, you know, beautiful Pastor Becky was saying, man, did you ever think, did you ever think? And I said, oh, darling, exceedingly abundantly above all that I can. This is so far beyond. But, you know, I think the reason that God has, has blessed is because I, I've got one life and I just refuse to say, well, that's not possible. How's that going to happen? I'm not going to live down to. I'm just going to say, well, if God says it, I'm not sure how it's going to happen. But I just know that I'm just going to keep stepping. All I've got to do is step one step at a time. I've just got to step one step at a time and God is going to meet us there. Is this helping anybody? All right. Number two. Number two is Abraham. Abraham in Genesis 22, the Bible says, and it came to pass that the Lord tested Abraham. Oh man, I hate that word. The Lord tested. There's nothing worse. I remember when I snapped my Achilles and, uh, you know, they, they, they had to, it was a long story, but anyway, the shorter story is they, they had to operate and thank God that, um, that they did because I was told by somebody else, no, no, I think it's just strained. And uh, then, then um, it was so beautiful. I, I woke up. I, I, in fact, I, I went, I preached at a church. I remember preaching at a church and I'm on crutches. And, and as I'm preaching, the anointing fell and the pain went out of my leg. And so I threw the crutches and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm healed. And I'm walking around going, because it was, it was, and I'm calling people out and people are getting healed. It was, it was incredible. And then, in the car on the way home, all the pain just came back. And it's that beautiful Pastor Christian McCudden. So he was driving the car on the way home. I get, get home and, oh, my gosh, I can hardly. I, I wake up the next morning. My foot is completely black. It's black, all bruised down here because I'm, you know, dancing on it like an idiot. And, uh, and just, to touch, just to touch my toe was like stabbing, stabbing me with a knife. And so Leanne, because, you know, for five days I've been hobbling around and whining and complaining. She's like, I'm done with this. You get your butt down to the, the medical center and you go and get it fixed too. So, you know, I drive down to the medical center and I go in there and um, the, the doctor, finally I get, you know, on, out of the waiting room and I lay down and the doctor looks and says, what are you doing? I said, oh, you know, um, I think that I've, you know, 
tore my Achilles. Someone said it's, it's strained. And she goes, can you wiggle your toes? I'm like, no. She goes, no, try and wiggle your toes. I'm like, I am. She goes, just don't move, don't move. She picks up the phone. She goes, I need an ambulance now. She goes, who drove you here? I said, I drove myself here. She goes, what do you mean you drove? I said, because I've been whining and complaining and my wife is done with me. Well, she's going to have to come down and pick the car up because you're going straight to the hospital straight for surgery. So anyway, so I go in, you know, for the surgery and then they, they, when I come out, they put one of those moon boots on me, the moon boots. But I remember, you know, I thought the pain was over until um, after, uh, after a few weeks, they said, okay, you're going to start physio. And the physio says, all right, let's get you out of this boot. And all of a sudden, the support was no longer there. And he says, we're going to test. Why didn't he just say, we're going to hurt you. And then you're going to write me a check at the end. Yeah, that's how this thing works. Me and the devil. Me and Lucifer. We're like. So I don't like the word Test. The Lord tested Abraham. Tests, tests are difficult. Tests are painful. Tests are testing. But you've heard us say, said that there's either, you're either in a test or you're in a trust. God never tests you unless he has the intention to graduate you. God, is, God never tests if he doesn't want to promote. So God tested Abraham. Take now Isaac, your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. And then in verse 17... In verse 17, God says to, to Abraham, he says, because, because you did not withhold from me your only son, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. That means that a thousand years later, a Joshua can look at the walls of Jericho and all his men can say, my God, these walls, they've spent 40 years with the greatest architects and the greatest engineers and the greatest construction team to fortify a compound that is impregnable. Should we just go around it? But, but God says to Joshua, shout. You'd say, hang on, what do you mean shout? Like surely we get some ramming. And God's like, no, no, son, son, I made a promise a thousand years ago on Mount Moriah, that Abraham, because he wouldn't withhold his only begotten son, but did that, I made a promise that his descendants would possess the gates of their enemies. You don't need to ram. You don't need to shoot cannons. You don't need to get a wrecking ball. You don't need to do anything because it was already preordained. Just, just shout and the walls are coming down because of an offering that was given a thousand years earlier. The power of, so God will test you at a time of vision builders. He's not trying to get something from you. He's trying to release something over you. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 6, and it can, you know, if you read, read 7 to 10, basically what happens is King David, King David had in his heart to build a house, to build a temple for the Lord. But God said to David, you, you aren't the one to build the temple because you're, you're a man of war. You've shed blood. And a lot of times that's a great picture. A lot of times the, the church isn't 
establish, you know, it's not that God didn't call them to, to pastor. It's not that God didn't call them to have a, a church of influence or that God called them to have a tiny little, you know, insignificant church. It's just that, that they, they're relationally inept. They're always fighting. They're always bickering. They're always at war. They can't bring, bring peace. And so God's like, yeah, you're not, Solomon's going to build it. He says, but because it was in your heart to build my house, let me tell you what I'm going to do is I'm going to establish your house. There will not fail to be one of your descendants sitting on the throne of the kingdom of Judah all your days. And now we know that Jesus, you know, is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he's the, the king of kings and lord of lords. But he establishes Solomon because David had in his heart to build God's house, to build God's vision. God says, because you, you've done that. I'm going to build yours. Your son, Solomon, I'm going to adopt him as my son. And I'm going to bless him. And there'll be no king that was ever like him with wisdom, with wealth, with influence. No other king like him is going to be extraordinary. When, when, when we do vision builders, it is never about trying to extract something from our people. It's always trying to get something into our people. If I can get people... To have a heart. Well, how do you get them to have a heart, Pastor? After the things of God. I'm so glad you asked. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reason we do vision builders is because we know if people will, will begin to direct their treasure towards building God's house, their heart will come towards God's house. And God said to David, because, because, because it was in your heart to, to build me a house, I'm going to reciprocate because that's who I am. I'm going to build your house and I'm going to establish my covenant with your sons and I'm going to bless and I'm going to make your name great and it'll come from the house of David. The Mashiach, the Messiah will come because it was in your heart. And the last one, the last one is the, the widow of Zarephath. In fact, this one's worth reading. So if you've if you got your, your Bibles, go to uh, 1 Kings 17. Verse 9, so Elijah has proclaimed a drought. A drought has hit the land. He's by the brook Cherith, drinking water, ravens, bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. So he's got in two good meals a day. But then the Bible says it came to pass that the, the brook dried up, the brook dried up. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said in verse 9, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. I want you to see that I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And, you, you know, we all know the story that when, when Elijah turns up on the scene, he goes into the city gates and he sees a widow gathering sticks. And he calls out and says, hey, can you bring me some water? And she looks and she goes to get water. And when he thinks, oh, well, it's a drought. If she knows where water is, this must be the widow. You know, God said, I'm, there's a widow, widow's going to provide. I get there and here's a widow and she knows where water is in a, in a drought. This is the woman. And he says, oh, will you make me a little cake and would you bring me, you know, I'm feeling a little hungry. I haven't eaten for an hour. And she turns around and she says, I mean, she lets him have it. As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have a little cake. In fact, I've only got enough flour and enough oil to bake one last cake. And then me and my son, we're going to eat it and die. In other words, we are having dinner today, but you're not invited. 
But Elijah got a word from God. And the word from God was, Arise, go to Zarephath and see that I have commanded a widow. He says, he didn't say, see that I have suggested to a widow. I've encouraged a widow. He says, I've put a commandment in her heart. And so he says, sweetheart, he says, don't be afraid. Go and do what you have said, but make me a small cake first. For thus saith the Lord, the flour will not run out, nor will the jar of oil run dry the entire famine. If you will resource God's word, God's mission, God's assignment in the region, if you attach yourself to resourcing that, God will attach himself to your house. If you build his house, he'll build your house. If you nourish him, he will nourish you. If you support him, he'll support you. Here's the question. This woman has lost her husband. This woman has watched the famine ravage and devastate the land. She's mourning. She's grieving. She's in pain. But the Lord said, I've commanded a widow. Can you obey God's commandments in the worst economy? Can you obey God's command when you're in pain? Can you obey God's command when you don't understand why did my husband die? Why, I, Lord, I don't understand. My husband, he, he, he died. I woke up. He was dead. Why, 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 do, why am I suffering loss? Why Can you still be obedient? Can you still step out in faith? God didn't say I suggested or encouraged. He says I've commanded a widow. Here is a woman. She doesn't understand why or what is going on. All we know from this story is she's carrying in her heart. God has spoken. God has found a heart that will obey his commandment despite what she's going through. Despite what she's walking through. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth searching for him whose heart is loyal that on that person's behalf God might show himself strong. God is God is God God will put a word in your heart. And when we get the word in the heart, quite often we're on a mountaintop experience. That's what happens at vision builders. We're on a mountain, we're around people, the vision is like, oh my, like, oh my gosh, I'm into this. But your ability to be like the woman of Zarephath to unlock and release the miracle isn't what happens on the mountaintop. It's what happens when you're gathering sticks, when everything looks hopeless, when circumstances look dire, when you're down to your last, where, where your husband is dead, your, your, your provision and, and resources is cut off and it looks like all. And then the word of the Lord comes. She had a commandment in her heart. And the reason God put a commandment there is because he found a heart that obeys. The greatest gift you can bring to the kingdom is an obedient heart that says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. The heart of a vision builder. The heart of a vision builder. The heart of a vision builder is one that hears God's command. And no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the pain, I'd love to tell you that, oh my gosh, every year, Vision Builders Month, Leanne and I, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. We woke up and 
we found ourselves on a fluffy pillow surrounded by butterflies. And there were, there were all, all shapes and sizes and colors. And then we looked, and there was like music playing. And I went, and I didn't even have bad breath anymore. Oh, my gosh. And you probably don't even notice this, but I'm not wearing any deodorant because we just woke up and there was no. No, no, it's like the opposite. Every, every year, June, it's like the devil throws everything in the kitchen sink. But I thank God that I have a God who put a command in my heart. Because the command is not circumstantial. God doesn't say, hey, you know, thou shalt not kill. Well, you know, unless, of course, you know, if your neighbor's like, you know, that's all right. Don't commit adultery. Well, obviously, you know, if things aren't going all right in your marriage and you find somebody else, you know, knock yourself out. No, it, it's a commandment. It doesn't matter how you feelings fluctuate. He's trying to say, hey, this, this, is, this is how you steady the ship. This is how you keep your life on course. You don't go according to the circumstances. You go according to obedience in your, in, in your heart. Come on, let's lift our hands. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for hearts of vision builders. Father, I pray, Lord God, that, that each and every one of us would not only have mountaintop experiences, but we would take the Habakkuk 2.2, that we would write down, we would write down the vision that we caught on the mountain, knowing that the world will try and assail, it will try and attack the onslaught of negativity and hopelessness and fear and sin and depravity and all the stuff. We'll try and eat away, we'll try and pull down, we'll try and tarnish, we'll try and blemish, we'll try and eclipse the vision of God, but we refuse to let it. We, we lift the vision of God for our lives, for our future above everything else. Father, let us be a church full of vision builders. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com. Or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.